Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg speak with the CEOs, financial experts, cultural icons, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. Today, we're talking about CBD and hemp with a global leader in the industry. Kashif Shan is the CEO of Folium Biosciences, the largest vertically integrated producer, manufacturer, and distributor of hemp-derived phytocannabinoids. They've just received an investment from Australia's capital, and Kashif talks to Annan Lewis about how he's going to use that capital and what he sees for the future of hemp and CBD. Don't sit back, lean forward. And now let's learn something about CBD. So Cash, welcome to the Green Rush. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So we've historically not done a ton of interviews talking about CBD and hemp-focused products and businesses. So um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about um, what you guys do at Folium? Sure, absolutely. So uh, Folium has been around for about five years. Uh, founded the company uh, in 2013. Um, our, our One of our basic premises that we operate under is that there are you know, 137 cannabis molecules that exist in nature. Uh, only one of them is psychoactive, and that's THC. Uh, and we're in the business of the other 136. Um, so uh, we think that um, while you know, THC certainly has its applications, uh, these other non-psychoactive cannabinoid molecules, um, whether it's CB- CBD or CBG or CBC or CBN, um, have different applications and ones that we're interested in building a business around and uh, exploring. Cash, you just you just went through all of the different chemical components to to hemp and to to cannabis. And while most people are familiar generally with the idea of CBD and they're they're familiar with um, with THC as the psychoactive component, you just listed a whole bunch of other things like CBN and, and, and others. Can you explain what their what their impact is on the body and and you know, what their uses are? So it's a great question, and again, I don't want to. I don't want to. I want to be clear. I'm not a scientist. Uh, you know, I'm a business person, and so I have a very layman's perspective on this. But a general way of viewing this is, if you think of CBD, uh, you know, CBD acts as, acts on the brain receptors, right? Um, and then, so if you think of that as, a, as kind of a base cannabinoid, then we have these other cannabinoids like CBG, which is a more a much better analgesic than CBD is, and CBN, which is much much better at for anti-insomnia um, and, and acts as, as a pain relief. So, you know, there's a lot of research and a lot of activity around CBD, which is which is where it should be to start. But uh, we certainly feel that as time goes along, um, these other cannabinoids will come to the forefront as more research is done on them. And, and there isn't much research today compared to what exists around CBD. Uh, and these molecules are in secondary and tertiary positions as far as, you know, their, their abundance in nature. And so one of the things that we're doing is developing new plant genetics that are richer in these these cannabinoids so that in the future, when they are extracted, uh, they're made more available. So, you know, I think that we're, we're kind of at an inflection point when we look at um, cannabis molecules and their applications, and not only in OTC products, but also across the pharmaceutical space. And, and we're absolutely of the belief that in the next, you know, 10, 20 years, this is a whole new platform from which drug development will take place. And, and these, these molecules will have 
far-reaching implications across multiple indications that we deal with in society today. I'm actually going to shift gears a little bit. We have, um, we want to hear about your cannabis journey, but where this conversation is going, I think lends itself to a discussion about the farm bill and the recent passage of the farm bill. Um, you know, everyone was over the moon excited. Um, and, and the farm bill essentially effectively allows sales of industrial hemp derived products across state lines, among other things. Can you talk a little bit about how that changes your business and how, and does it affect, um, these other, uh, phytocannabinoids, um, or is it just CB hemp derived CBD? So I think in, in broad terms, it will absolutely affect these other, uh, molecules because they will be derived from hemp, at least from our perspective. Um, but, you know, as it pertains to how it changes our business today, um, we ship internationally to 32 countries uh, right now. Um, we are the only company in Colorado that's been audited by the CDPHE and has received our free sales certificates certif certifying our products. So we haven't had issues shipping into states around the country that allow the distribution of CBD. Um, certainly, we think the Farm Bill... Um, provides much, much more clarity than we've had in the past. It's a, it's a major step forward. Um, I think that uh, the FDA will now take a more active role in providing guidance as well. Can we talk about the FDA for a second? Because, you know, I think there is a, there is a confusion that when the Farm Bill passed, everybody was like, woohoo, CBD is legal. And the FDA went, eh, eh slow down. So what, where, where does this stand? Like, is, is CBD formally legal or is it still in a gray area? No, I think it's legal. Um, it's It's been legal. I think that, you know, I don't think the government expected in 2013 when the initial pilot program was launched that the primary products being derived from hemp would be these 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 these, these phytocannabinoids. I think that their their thought process was it would be would be kind of akin to what was done in the past, which was more along the lines of, of uh, textile, you know, applications of, of industrial hemp. So... You know, the FDA is, is, has jurisdiction over, you know, ingestibles and, and dietary supplements and, and as well as drugs. So uh, CBD products absolutely, you know, are, are products that um, they will have an interest in and they will want to ensure that uh, products are being manufactured in, in a safe, uh, in safe and, and, and regulated manner. And we welcome that. We think that um, as we move forward and these, these molecules move into the mainstream, um, there should be regulatory oversight, and, and to, to a large extent, we certainly want to lead the way in self-regulation and ensuring that we you know, achieve the highest standards possible. So, so excuse me. Um, so, I think that you know that's to be expected. It's it's what you would expect in any industry that's maturing, um, and that's what's going to happen in this space too. What if you could? reshape the farm bill or if you could do farm bill 2.0 what would that look like for you i hadn't thought about that but um far, far well, let us let us put you on the spot there. <laughs> farm bill 2.0 would exclusively say bill. yeah it would exclusively say that only folding biosciences can supply cannabinoids across the united states but that probably won't happen so and, and then, <laughs> well it depends on how much money you put in trump's pocket then we can you know then we'll talk <laughs> No, I, I think that Farm Bill 2.0, you know, I think this is a maturing process, right? I think that even today, there's, there's so much that's misunderstood about the difference between marijuana and hemp-derived products. And that's at the, not only the political level, 
um, but also the general public. So there's a lot of education that needs to happen. And I think that Farm Bill 1.0, at least, is a major step forward in recognizing that there's significant opportunity here, that these are uh, these are, uh, are markets that we want to um, grow, that we want to be leading as a country. And I think that as, as we move forward, and there'll be clearer definition and, and understanding behind psychoactive products and non-psychoactive products. I think that for the DEA to take the, the stance that they are, um, where and, they, and we've had great interactions with them and, and have worked really hard to clarify our position and what we do, and they've been really open to that. And so I think that, um, you know, we're against illegal drug use and, um, and, and having government agencies better understand that this is not the case uh, is good for everybody. So as we move forward, I think that there'll be broader understanding, broader acceptance and, and better education, and there'll be more adoption uh, across many vertical channels from human wellness to cosmetics to animal health. So we're really excited about what, what bodes for the future. I, I definitely want to get into all these different types of products, but one of the things I want to I want to ask you is when people think of hemp products, they tend to think that there is no THC in it at all, and that is just not accurate. It's just not it's not a plant that is bred to have a high concentration of THC, but there is some. You guys have a unique extraction process to to remove the THC from the hemp and keep it pure CBD or, or other formulations. Can you talk a little bit about that and why you've decided to go completely THC-free? Because you don't need to be 100% clean. That's correct. If you don't mind, I'm going to back up just a little bit um, and address that question in two, in two parts. So the first part of answering that question would be that we are big, big believers in what's called the entourage effect or the full, spe- or full spectrum products. Mm-hmm. So we don't, for example, you use isolate, which is um, purification of, of the, the, the extract to, to a single molecule at, at a pharmaceutical grade level. And so you know, we believe in the synergistic, inter- synergistic interaction of the terpenes, the lipids, the proteins, along with the cannabinoids, and we think that that, bring, that results in higher levels of efficacy than if you, if you use, separate single molecules. We actually also believe that uh, THC in small parts is conducive to that entourage effect. But the reality of the marketplace that exists today, and looking at it from a pragmatic perspective, is that, as and I think this year will be, will be the critical year, as big box retailers like Costco, Walmart, CVS, Walgreens start adopting these products, um, there is very little interest on their part to put anything on the shelves um, that would have any levels of THC for obvious reasons, right? Um, security, you know, liability. So, you know, our ability to remove THC, and just to touch on that, the federal definition of hemp is any sativa L plant that has less than 0.3% THC in it. Uh, so when that biomass is extracted, the THC levels typically concentrate to somewhere between 1.5 to 2%. And so a lot of companies will address lowering those THC levels to less than 0.3 by diluting the product. What we do is we take a form of chromatography technology where we have media that selectively binds with the THC molecules and removes them from this full spectrum profile. 
So we're left with an, uh, a full spectrum oil that's devoid of the THC down to 0.0%. Um, and that's what we use then to either sell in bulk or to formulate other products from. And so I think that, you know, again, when we look at this from not just a domestic perspective, but an international perspective, uh, we have countries that we ship to today, like Japan, and Malaysia, uh, or the Middle East, where there's a zero tolerance threshold towards THC, but a significant level of interest in non-psychoactive cannabinoids. And so this pre presents a, a perfect solution to addressing those markets. I have two follow-up questions. One is, are the from a U.S. perspective, are you hearing from the big box retailers or the CVSs and Walgreens of the world that they want this? Or are you anticipating that they will, will want this, a, a completely THC, free product on the shelves. And my follow-up is Lewis wants to know what's done with all the THC that gets extracted. Yeah, you, do you have like a massive <laughs> stockpile somewhere that you're just kind of sitting on top of going? <laughs> so, so Lewis, my, my answer to you would be, you should definitely come by on Friday afternoons because we have. <laughs> no, on a serious note, if anybody from the MED is listening, that is absolutely not what happened. JK, there, right? JK. JK, exactly. Um, no. So uh, to answer the second question first, is we actually have a, a, a protocol that the state has a, have asked us to employ whereby we uh, dispose of the THC. We, uh, we remove it from uh, the columns in which it's, it's captured. We, we mix it in with other products. And then we have a, a special um, uh, kind of, uh, I guess, a company that specializes in um, dangerous waste that comes by and picks up this on a weekly basis and disposes of it. Everything is videotaped and, and stored for audit if, it, if that ever comes to that. So that's that's what we do with the THC. So no one can go around licking your garbage cans. Get no, it doesn't really work out too well. Yeah. That was like a me joke, by the way. <laughs> yeah. No, and then in regards to the first question, um, I think that absolutely, uh, like for example, walmart.com already has CBD products on its website. Um, and you know, I think a good ex the way I'd answer this question is we, we recently had um, a new board member, our first outside board member join the company. Um, his name is JP Bilbray. And, and JP, up until this year, was the chairman and CEO of the Hershey Company. Wow, congratulations. That's a get. Oh, yeah, thank you. No, he's an, he's an amazing guy. Um, we're, we're not just excited about the, his, his pedigree, but – you know, just his leadership and, and his experience are, are tremendous assets to us. And I've really enjoyed uh, spending the time I have with him. But I think that if you look at his involvement in, you know, a relatively small company, right, 200 people uh, in the forefront of a greenfield opportunity, uh, a burgeoning industry, I think that's really telling because obviously the majority of his contacts exist within big box retail. That's where Hershey would distribute his products. So I think it's really a good indicator of where the market is going, what the level of interest is, because it's massive. And we, there's no question, you know, here we're dealing with a molecule that hasn't, that hasn't been present uh, in our dietary, uh, dietary intake um, for, you know, 80, 90 years. And, you know, people, I think it's, it's kind of, uh, we're at a point where, it's the perfect storm where people are exhausted with, with pharmaceuticals and all of the side effects that come from those and are looking for safe alternative solutions to a myriad of issues, whether it's pain management or um, anxiety or sleep aid or, you know, 
uh, even things as serious as epilepsy. And, and CBD, you know, because as you guys know, you know, each of us has an endocannabinoidal system, right? We're introducing products into the body that are native to the body. So there's no toxicity. You can't overdose. And there's no drug interaction. So, you know, these are, these are molecules that can help in all those areas without any of the side effects. So it's really uh, an interesting time and one that I think that when you have something that people take that works, um, that there's a viral effect to the adoption. And that's what we're seeing in the growth. Can, can, can we talk about brand for a second? Because ultimately what you are is at, at its core is and I hate to use this word, but like somewhere like between a nutraceutical company and a consumer packaged goods company. So how do you d define your brand? How do you communicate your brand? And how do you differentiate your brand? Because the space is 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 underdeveloped, undereducated, and really crowded. So I think the way we would define ourselves, and, and hopefully I don't get sued for this, is you know, we kind of think of ourselves as Intel inside, right? We're the we're the chip that powers the brands. And uh, you know whether so. So if you look at our 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 the, the demographics of our customers today, um, they kind of fall into two categories, right? So we have 50% of our customers are, are companies that buy our products in bulk, uh, unfinished, right? So it's either bulk oil, water soluble powder, uh, hydro PCR, different delivery systems we have that we can provide to them, from which they can then formulate products and develop products for them for, for their own markets. The, the other 50% of our customers, though, are, are companies that are in our sales and marketing companies that are looking for finished goods that they can deliver into their distribution systems. So from that perspective, what we try to do is build an ecosystem in which our customers can come into and, and really secure products across all the different verticals uh, that we've talked about to allow them to, to create a platform of sales for themselves and, and really when we look at this, we're now talking more about um, category management and, and it's a new category and, and developing products broadly across that category. That's kind of where we see ourselves is we want to, we want you to focus as a customer on what you do best. And if what you do best is sales and marketing, we want to provide you with the products that allows you to go forward and, and do that as quickly and as efficiently as possible. I, you have an arm of uh it seems like a pretty robust arm um, of R&D within the company. What kind of technology, research, or products can we expect to see from you in 2019? Or not even 2019, just say in the future. I, I think that that's a great question again. I think that um, that will be driven to some extent by where demand comes from. And so I think it's, it falls into two, two areas. Uh, the first is building better dose delivery systems that, that drive more bioavailability. I think that, you know, one of the things that we've always tried to do as a cornerstone of how we do business is develop products that work, work and work as efficiently as possible. And right? so you'll, you'll see a lot of products out there in the market today that provide a certain dosing or, or, or certain milligrams, certain amount of milligrams in the product. But what you have to marry that with now, I think, is, you know, smart, intelligent delivery systems um, whether it's an animal emulsion or other forms that that provide more active into the body more efficiently, and that's that's absolutely where our focus is from an R and D perspective. Because so you're looking, so your R and D perspective is delivery system focused, or I mean, I'm, I just want to be clear because I think about innovation all the time, and I don't see a, I don't see as much innovation in this industry I think as there could be, and I don't mean 
in in hemp CBD. I mean, in the overall cannabis industry, I think people are so focused on yield and 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 potency that they're they are missing the opportunity for real innovation. You know, maybe I'm just talking out my butt here, but but you know, where does this fit into your your thesis? No, I think you're absolutely right. But I think that you know, as these larger mainstream distribution channels like a Walmart or a CVS come online, they're going to demand higher standards, uh, not only in you know GMP and, and and production, but also in you know delivery. And so, as an industry, those are those are good things, right? Right now, these molecules are priced in a in a manner in which it, it, it's 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 cost prohibitive to a certain segment of society, and we need to change that. And one of the ways we can change that is by improving delivery systems so that smaller dosing will deliver the same results or better than what what people are getting from rudimentary delivery systems that are being utilized in the market today. Being that all of this research is you know is going into delivery systems, let's say cannabis gets rescheduled and, uh, you know, or the States Acts pass or, or something big happens, you know, you're, are there any plans for you guys to get into THC based products since you're, or does this technology apply to THC based products or, you know, are you all hemp derived CBD all the time? That's going to be the focus for the next 10 years. Or is that an unfair question? The question's fine. I think that, um, you know, when we're not going to get into the business of THC, it's a very different business than the business we're in at, at many, many different levels. Um, I think that's, you know, just to give you some examples. Um, even if you look at cultivation, for example, the, the infrastructure required for THC cultivation is completely different than the infra- infrastructure that we've built out for, um, you know, hemp derived products. So I don't see, us pivoting to that, um, you know. Also, if, if you look at it, at you know, kind of look at the scale at which we're we're building our systems, they don't necessarily even apply to THC derived products because they're so highly regulated. Um, you know, a single company can only produce so much. So, you know, for example, today we produce about two thousand kilos of active per month. Um, you know, and we just closed on a new one hundred ten thousand square foot facility that will come online in March. Um, we've had equipment under 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 manufacturing under fabrication for the last several months that will be deployed in, in April, and by May our capacity will increase to about twenty thousand kilos of active per month. And when you start looking at those kinds of numbers, it's really not applicable to the to the marijuana or THC space because there's just you not that the demand and within one entity isn't high enough to 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 build that kind of infrastructure around. So the other part of that is you know. Again, companies that countries that we sell into today that have very little tolerance or interest in, in THC, you know, we don't want to muddy the waters or create any confusion in the market as to what we do. You know, we're, we're clearly defined. We, we recognize that there's opportunities on the THC side, but uh, we think that being disciplined uh, and and focused on what we do best is our best approach to being successful. Let's pivot a little bit. We've been talking about the plant and the states, you know, or the hemp bill and, and, and that kind of stuff. But we haven't really talked about you. And we're just to remind everybody, we're talking with Kashif Shah, the CEO of Foley and Biosciences. Um, Cash, how did you get into this business? Like, where, where, what is your backstory? Tell us your personal journey. 
So uh, I, I, I appreciate you asking that question because there, there's, a, there's, a fa- there's a, a facet of this that I want to share with the audience that I think is important. But um, I'm a big believer in karma, right? And so sometimes in life, it's about being in the right place at the right time. And so in my case, uh, my background, I was in the high-tech industry in the Bay Area for most of my career. I was very fortunate. I, I retired kind of in my mid-30s. And um, was then and was then in the real estate business, and so I was buying uh, condominiums in the Bay Area, excuse me, apartment buildings in the Bay Area, and converting them condominiums, or, or building high density units. And so, in the course of that business, a deal came across my desk for a mushroom farm in Gilroy, California. And Psil- so, psilocybin or other shiitakes. Yeah, no, the real mushrooms, the ones you eat with chicken. You can eat psilocybin with chicken. <laughs> I think we all agree at this point that we know you do. No, actually, I don't. I haven't done. Yeah, but, but all right. My part of my job in this is to make really bad jokes. So. That's all right. No problem. So, um, so anyway, so we got this deal. The deal comes across my desk, and obviously, I'm thinking, you know, we could probably just uh, demolish the farm and put up some 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 townhouses or something like that. So we go out there and um, I'm looking at this farm and there's a ton of infrastructure. There's greenhouses, there's grow rooms, there's generators. And so I'm kind of talking to the team that's out there and, and out loud, I asked the question, well, is there anything else that we could do with this um, before we, we pull all this down? And so this is the part where I want to just talk a little bit about who I am personally. So I'm the guy, I come from a very conservative family, a very conservative Muslim family, actually. Um, and so I don't drink, smoke. I have never done drugs, and so I have no no knowledge of this industry whatsoever. And so, one of the guys is there says, "Well, you know, I, if we could grow medical marijuana here, that could be pretty good." And and so I obviously I don't know anything about that. And, and he says, "Well, I know a dispensary owner in San Jose that uh, could help us." And when was this? This is now in 2012, so it's it's about six years ago. Okay, cool. Six and a half years. This is really, by the way, you we were chatting beforehand, and you said, eh, this isn't all that interesting. <laughs> this is absolutely fascinating. Are you kidding me? This is awesome. All right. Well, so I go out to have lunch with a guy, and he tell, and within 30 seconds, he's disillusioned me of any idea or thoughts that um, the that the, the city of Gilroy will let us grow medical marijuana in the city limits. So I'm like, dude, we're here. I'm here. You're here. You know, we're having lunch. Tell me about your world. So the guy goes on and on for the next hour and a half, two hours about CBD. And again, this is six years ago, six and a half years ago. Um, he was he was kind of a pioneer at the time, at least from my perspective. And and so, I, remember, I'm I'm coming from my background in high tech, and I'm looking, I'm listening to him through that lens. And I apologize. I don't know uh, whether you bleep things out, but in my mind, I'm thinking the guy's full of shit, right? We don't bleep. No, we, we don't. We embrace bleep. the curse. All right. Well, okay. Well, you can roll with it if you want. So, um, you know, I, I'm thinking that there's no way this molecule exists that can do all the things that he says it can do, um, and that the pharmaceutical industry hasn't monetized this. But I'm intrigued enough to do one thing when I get home, which is to Google CBD. And if you Google CBD, you'll see, you know, 50 years of published play- papers that. Uh, that absolutely corroborated everything that he was saying. And then you, you, back then you, you get to see and understand why this molecule wasn't being utilized at the time. 
And so, you know, I kind of had my entrepreneurial spirit, you know, hat on and I, I thought that there was a window of opportunity where, you know, somebody could go into this business and, and if we could get big enough, fast enough, uh, could be a pretty interesting opportunity. So as I'm out there educating myself, I, I, I'm on these forum boards and you, you quickly saw the debate even back then six years ago about from people that were saying that you couldn't extract CBD from hemp, traditional industrial hemp. It had to come from the marijuana plant because nature had designed the industrial hemp plant for its textile applications. And you're thinking to yourself, bullshit. No, no. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I agree 100%. I absolutely recognize that nature had designed the marijuana plant for its medicinal applications. So the one thing that, I, that we did as far as connecting the dots, though, was I knew that I wasn't interested in going to the marijuana business. But I was really interested in going into the hemp business because not only was that not a regional business, not a domestic business, it could be a, a multinational business. So what we did was from a foundational perspective, we took a strain of marijuana that was high in CBD and pretty high in THC, um, an ACDC strain to be specific. And we, over the next year and a half, bred the THC levels down to where it qualified as hemp. So we now had a strain that had high levels of CBD and qualified as industrial hemp under the, the definition by the federal government, but it had all these other attributes that we agreed and recognized were critical to efficacy, the terpenes, the lipids, the proteins, all the things that we've talked about. So that was kind of a foundational uh, aspect of, you know, how we started the business. And for the first two and a half, three years of the inception of the business, we were, we were hundred percent focused on developing our farming infrastructure uh, to build supply into uh, the demand that we were going to build in the future. Can I ask what the conversation was like with your family? Like, Mom, <laughs> Dad, I have to talk to you about something. <laughs> that is a great question because I think you, you understand. I'm, I'm obviously from an Indo-Pak culture, right? And so, you know, we're if we're not engineers or doctors, we're failures. So, <laughs> but you were an engineer, weren't you? I mean, you you um, were. Well, I was not. I was not. Actually, I was more on the business side of things. But um, oh, but but still, how, what a shame. My my parents though um, were were very supportive after I because they were they were open to being educated, um, and it's pretty funny because now they'll be like you know, Beta, can you please send us some CBD? We need it for our <laughs> friends, and you know it's pretty funny. They're very cool people, but but the other part of what I wanted to say to this, and this is more important, I think, is you know as we move into 2019, um, one of the guiding principles by which we want to build our business is this, is this aspect of social commerce. Hmm. And social commerce is a, a term that JP taught me. And it was something that was obviously integral to the foundation of Hershey because Hershey, as you know, is, a, is, is all of its profits are built towards going to the Hershey uh, trust, which, which provides resources and housing for, a, you know, uh, uh, Adopted. kids, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, boys that are that are that are adopted and so forth, right? So, so, so I say this because, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, I'm a Muslim American, incredibly proud uh, to be an American, incredibly proud to uh, of the opportunities that this country has afforded me, and and so, you know, we're in a space where 
a lot of what we produce can help people in very real ways, right? And so one of the one of the things that we want to accomplish this year, and that this is tied to our increase, increase in capacity allowing us to do this now, is to, to, to see what we can do you know, by aligning with veterans organizations to help provide product to veterans that deal with PTSD and other issues to help them alleviate some of those issues. So I think as, as a Muslim American, I have a greater responsibility um, to, to, to be active in our community and, and to demonstrate the, the, that our, our religion, our culture is one which is additive to, to us as a nation and that we're, we're as proud of the service that our, our service members make and the sacrifices they make for, our, for us all uh, as much as anybody is. So we're super excited about developing those programs this year and rolling them out. Well, you're... Part... Oh, sorry, Lewis. We haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> no, no, seriously, we haven't stepped on each other literally in a very long time. So, uh, and you go ahead. I didn't mean to step on you. Uh, Cash, your company actually caught my eye um, when uh, I was reading New Cannabis Ventures, um, a must read. Alan Brockstein is a friend of the pod. Uh, and he announced the uh, the deal. Uh, Australia's capital invested $3 million, um, into your business. And for those who don't know, Australis is the spinoff of the uh, Canadian powerhouse Aurora. They're, they're U.S. spinoff, right? So can you tell us a little bit more about that deal? And, and is that the money that, that is, is that money going to, going to fund the kind of expansion that you just talked about? Um, so the, the money that came in was, was in the form of a secondary offering. So I'm um, happy to, to report that uh, we are a pretty successful business. We're profitable and we fund all of our expansions from our own revenue. So those funds actually came into the business and were uh, distributed to, to investor investors that were, were interested in taking a little bit of money off the table and, and capitalizing on the valuation of the dollars that came in. So they never actually came into the business itself. Um, but I will say that Scott Dowdy, who is the, the CEO of Astralis, uh, is a great friend of the company. He's a great guy, um, has a, a good vision for what he wants to, how he wants to build the fund um, and what its objectives are. And, you know, our perspective on on the dollar amount, you know, we, we quite frankly didn't need the capital for anything, um, but we, we think that a strategic relationship with Australis makes sense for us. Um, we think that their values align with ours and we're excited about, you know, building the business with them in the future and having them be uh, partners with us. You know, the last couple of years have seen this massive rush to to go public. Um, you know, you see multi-state operators going up to Canada to list on the CSE. You actually see Canadian LPs coming down to the United States to list on the, the New York Stock Exchange and the, the NASDAQ. Do you have any plans to go public in the next two years, three years? You know, what 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 is the future for you guys from a financial or capital markets perspective? That's a loaded question. Um, I mean, never say never. I have, I have a, I have a loaded microphone. So you are facing <laughs> a loaded microphone. <laughs> I, I think that people, um, there, there are a couple of reasons why people go to the capital markets, right? Obviously, raise capital, right? Another is that it can be an exit strategy uh, for early founders or, or investors and companies. I, I don't think that's the pathway that we'll take. But again, never say never. You know, we don't need to raise capital. Um, we are um, profitable to the extent that we can fund all of our own expansion 
and provide dividends to our investors on a monthly basis today. And uh, we're expecting our revenue to grow exponentially this year uh, over what we did last year. So I don't think that's in our cards. Uh, quite frankly, I, I've been through a few IPOs um, and I'd rather you know, stay focused on the business. I thought you were saying I'd rather stick a fork in my eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was getting there, but you beat me to the punch, right? I mean, uh, I, you know, you know, when you go public, you, you know, I think that as an as a CEO, um, your role changes, and you're very much beholden to uh, the reporting requirements and invest and the investors in your business, which you should be. I don't know that I have an interest in going down that pathway. We don't really have a need, and I think that it would di- distract from. Uh, what we're trying to accomplish. Where do you see the biggest growth market for um, for for CBD? Is it in the? Is it beauty? Is it wellness? Is it uh, veterinary? Where are you gonna gonna focus your efforts this year? I mean, I think we're gonna focus on all three of those areas, quite frankly. And I just uh, picked those three. There could be more. Yeah, no, there there, <laughs> there, are, there are more, but but I think that what you're alluding to, though, and what we're, we're recognizing as well, I think, is that. Look, the reality is that we're we're in, you know, the first inning of a very long game, right? And this is, these are early days, and and so when you look at you know, global adoption of these molecules across all those verticals that you mentioned and others, it's just so early, and so um, there's demand, massive demand across, you know, all those all those channels. And I think one of the things that you will see though this year is more contract manufacturers coming into the space that are credible, scalable, um, and and that can design and deliver high quality products um, to help, you know, penetrate those markets better. As an example, um, we partnered with uh, one of the premier manufacturers of cosmetic products in in Korea to develop, help us develop our CBD-based cosmetics products. So we have now face masks and you know, uh, eye serums and cold creams um, and some really cool products that we think reflect, you know, kind of quality product that we want to put on the marketplace and is made with a part by a partner that has ex- extensive experience in these kinds of products. So, again, I think that these things will mature just like the overall market will. And there are more and more p- uh, companies that are that have a level of expertise that doesn't exist in the cannabis space that are willing to partner with companies in the space uh, to, to produce better products. So I want to get back to to, to a couple of personal questions because I was really enjoying the entrepreneur's journey there. Um, and I have, I have a two-part question. Um, the first is, you know, we all make mistakes, you know, especially in the early days. I'd love to know about what your biggest mistake was. And as a follow-up question, I really want to get very personal here. Ginger or Marianne? Because I've, I've been... <laughs> Definitely Ginger. Um, but... To the first question, I mean, you know, there's no question that we've made. Oh, and by the way, I, I disagree. I was a, I'm Marianne all the way. Okay, um, that's okay. Yeah, and I hate this is, question. Well, well, the good news is <laughs> why? Could, why? Why do you hate this question? It's a great question. Well, I was gonna say we could go out and not have any conflict, right? But yeah. other than other than my wife would probably have an issue. So, <laughs> I imagine she would. Yeah. Oh, right, but, sorry. So biggest mistake. Um, there have been a lot, so many. I couldn't even tell you. I mean, I think that um, you know, we're, it was a, it's a space in which there, there wasn't anybody there wasn't anybody to teach us, you know, what we didn't know. 
right? Um, we really were pioneers because a lot of the a lot of the guys that were in the space were on the THC side, and they had been underground guys um, that had been in the business. And so, you know, for us, it was it was very difficult to align ourselves with professional because you know we come from you know biotech and high tech and, and different kinds of backgrounds. And so that there, there are, legal you know, yeah, legal industries, right? So um, we absolutely made some mistakes in um, hiring and, and I don't think they were mistakes. I think they were just, we didn't understand the psychology of the people that were in the space that existed. Because if you think about it, these are guys that just never trusted anybody because it wasn't in their DNA. They, they had grown up in a world where the minute you trusted somebody, you probably got screwed over. So I think that a lot of our mistakes were in the personnel area and, you know, you, you kind of work your way through those. Um, and then uh, and another is it was more of just the challenges, you know, again, back in, you know, five years ago, there was very little awareness of CBD. And so our challenges were, you know, as, as, as simple as securing buildings that we could work out of where our landlord landlords were open and willing to understand what we did. But the only thing I would say is this is, you're absolutely going to make mistakes. Um, there's no question about it. And sometimes they're big mistakes. I think the, the key is how do you work through those mistakes? What do you learn? And I think our the only thing that we did was we never accepted that uh, any of our mistakes were fatal. Um, they were all opportunities to learn. And we, we took those learnings and improved on how we did what we did. And so we'll continue to do that because I think there's always – we're still making mistakes every day. Um, so – that would be my answer. I've heard it compared to, and I think I think this is a Taylor Westism. Um, Shay can correct me if I'm wrong, but that this industry is like uh, building the plane while you're flying it, um, and that there's just not that blueprint for for a business like this, um, a business that existed and thrived in the black market and is now all of a sudden kind of thrust into you know regulations and and a real thriving you know green market industry. Um, so no question there, just a comment, but, um, I think it's a great analogy. Yeah. It's yeah. And, and I think a lot of people have, have made a lot of mistakes, but to your point to not see them as fatal, um, and to kind of learn from them and pivot is, is the sign of a maturing of the industry. So it's great to hear that. Um, what do you think is the hardest part of your job right now? Wow, that's another good question. So thanks. <laughs> you guys are full of loaded. <laughs> no, they're supposed to be. They're supposed. They're leading questions. <laughs> I think that the the next big challenge we have is, you know, our business is going to scale this year, you know, in ways that it hasn't before, and it, in ways, quite frankly, that uh, I haven't experienced before. And so I think the biggest challenge for us is, you know, how do we how do we navigate through different types of challenges than we've had in the past. And I think uh, uh, the answer to that question is by surrounding ourselves with people like JP and like Astralis, um, trusted advisors that can help minimize the mistakes that we might make. um, That, you know, I think that as you get bigger, your mistakes become more costly. And so to the extent that we can minimize those mistakes um, and make sure that we're listening really well um, and, and making sure that we make our decisions that are as informed as possible, um, before we make them is, is going to be critical. You know, the, the international opportunity is is also really, really big. We're, we're you know, you're not just seeing the U.S. change and become more open 
uh, to these opportunities, just seeing it on a global perspective, right? Mexico just legalized. Um, Europe is obviously already legal. You know, South Korea, Japan, some of these countries that we've mentioned, these are countries that you wouldn't expect to adopt these opportunities, but they are. And so, you know, you know, as we move forward, you know, anybody that's done international expansion will tell you that going to any, any of these countries, you have to understand the culture, the distribution systems. They're all very different than how we operate here in the West. And so you have to identify local partners that can help you navigate through, you know, those kinds of things. And so we're very fortunate in, in the partners that we have uh, had in our international uh, expansion. We hope that I'll continue as we move forward. But absolutely, there's there's some, you know, those. I think I, I think that, you know, scaling as we move forward, uh, and and bringing in people that can help us navigate the next level of the business is going to be critical to our success. Cash, I have good news and I have bad news for you. Okay, I'm ready. All right. The the bad news is we're almost done. We have one more question. That's so funny because that's good news to me. <laughs> oh wow! All right. Well then, forget it. All right. So we are we are we are at uh, we we try and do a repeating segment every show called While You Were Sleeping, and and the goal of this is to ask you. You're paying attention to the industry really broadly. Um, you know, the media tends to focus on a little bit of, of this entire industry. What do you think that the media is is not covering? What's the most underreported story in the overall cannabis hemp industry? I think that the most underreported story relates to what we do because I think there's been so much focus on THC that quite frankly, Investment communities, uh, you know, and the media have, have failed to recognize that the larger, broader, global impact is on is, is from the non-psychoactive molecules, um, and and that's worked out great for us because it's allowed us to continue to grow. And but I think that as we move forward, and I think you're already starting to see com- com- companies that are in the space or new. And new ventures that are coming into space are pivoting more towards uh, this side of the business because they're starting to recognize the global opportunity versus uh, a regional opportunity. And so that's what I think is the most underreported aspect of the whole cannabis story is it's not just about THC. It's, it's very much about these other molecules. And that will be, I think, the talking point in 2019-2020. Cash, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Yeah, this um, was amazing. And just just one more chance. It was a lot chance. of fun, man. Yeah, like, and, and one more chance to plug. So uh, we've been speak, uh, speaking with uh, Kashif Shan, the CEO of Folium Biosciences. Check him out at foliumbiosciences.com. We'll have a link in our show notes. Um, anywhere else you want to plug? Twitter, you guys have a Twitter account, at Folium Biosciences, anywhere else? Yeah, I apologize. I'm, I suck at that stuff. I don't even have a Facebook <laughs> account. So, um, no, I appreciate you guys having us on. I, I hope that uh, I was a, a reasonable guest. I'm not great at these things. So uh, I appreciate the patience of your audience. Uh, and again, you know, um, we're really excited about what we do as we move forward and looking forward to making our products more available to more people. If you want to chat with us, find us on Instagram and Twitter with the handles at KCSA underscore cannabis, as well as KCSA dash cannabis.com or drop us an email at, at ha 
or drop ha. us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com. Big, huge, sloppy thanks to Tiffany, to Nick, and to Shay for helping us get this show off the ground and helping us promote it. Don't Ew. forget to subscribe to The Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. And Lewis, big sloppy thanks to you too. Seriously? Ew. That's like, <laughs> that's, that's like ew. One take, Shay. One take. Get